Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. So good to see all of you. Thank you so much for being here with us. A special welcome to our online campus and people that have joined online with us this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. What a great passage, a great uh, word from God that we have. You know, we as Christians uh, respond pretty well to words like love and grace, mercy. We tend to tolerate words like giving and evangelism. Those will, we'll just kind of tolerate those, but we uh, don't respond to words very well like obedience or submission. I mean, those words uh, tend to bring up things in our mind that uh, we're not quite sure what to do with. Now, I'm just not talking about submission of our, submission of a, a paper to a professor or submission of our tax forms to the, to the IRS or anything like that. What I'm talking about is the act of yielding to the authority or control of another person. Now, many people take that term as submission, and when they hear that, they think of submission in somewhat of a power term, a power move, one way or the other, where someone controls another person. Uh, you know, when I think about submission in somewhat of a power term, I think of those submission moves that they have in wrestling, you know, those wrestling moves where they either put you in a chokehold or put you in an arm bar and, and through by putting some sort of pressure on a, an individual, you have that individual submit to you and submit the match as a result of all of that power pressure that they've put onto you. But biblically, biblically the word submit, huputasso, is a combination of two words, hupo under, tasso to arrange, to arrange under. And it's actually a military term which talks about uh, arranging troops under the leadership, somebody who's been delegated the leadership of those troops. So the emphasis is on willingly, willingly yielding to the authority that's been delegated to another individual. Willingly yielding to the authority that's been delegated to another individual. Now, here's our problem with this. Submission is not one of those things that comes naturally for us. That if we are going to submit, we are going to have to make a conscious effort to willingly submit ourselves. In other words, it's gonna to have to be a choice, a choice of ours to willingly submit ourselves under the authority of that other person. Why? Well, it's not really in our nature. You know, if you go back to when Satan rebelled against God in Isaiah 14, 14, what did he say? He says, you know, I will make myself like the most high. And you know, it's amazing. He pulled out that same type of terminology when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Satan used that same phrase and he says, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Every man and woman since Adam and Eve inherited that same self-exalting nature. And for that reason, submission is one of those things which 
doesn't come naturally, but requires a natural a, a decision on our part. Why? Because we have this sin nature that says, you know, I want to be in charge. I want to make the decisions. And if anybody needs to be submitting, you need to be submitting to me. I'm not going to be submitting to you. What's that? That's called sin. It's called sin. And so we have this problem within us that when we hear the word submission, we become uneasy. It should not come as any surprise to any Bible-believing Christian that we do have a systemic problem of sin. That sin nature invades all of us. And the Bible teaches, though, that we need to come into submission of a variety of, of authorities, of governmental authorities, of church authorities, of kings, of governors, of masters. And the question then becomes is, why? Well, because God ultimately is still in control. And the question becomes is, who are you going to trust? Where is your hope? Where is your trust? Is it in the governmental authorities or in that? Or is it in God? And Peter is encouraging us to submit, submit. And see, we need to see authorities of not acting, those authorities as not acting on their own power but see those authorities as instruments in the hand of God. And once we see them not acting under their own power, but God's power, we will then be set apart to be able to accomplish God's will for our life. And Peter is writing his readers to encourage them to live holy lives in the midst of all of the suffering that they were enduring because of their identity and their hope in Christ. And to place their hope in him and him alone. And if they were going to be able to place their hope in him, they would be able to now handle the suffering and the difficulties that they were seeing that were outside. Up until this point, Peter has been really grounding the reader in that salvation that we have. And he's done a wonderful job. But now he turns our attention to submitting ourselves to what we have in Christ. And that whole concept of submission and how important submission really is within the believer's life because it takes our eyes off of ourselves and it puts it onto God. A pivotal paragraph, which we kind of alluded to last week, if you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. A pivotal paragraph, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, really set up the rest of the paragraph that we're going to look at today. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and aliens to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And part of that passions of the flesh includes that desire that we have that wants to control. That desire that we want to be in charge that desire to retaliate for injustice and abuse, that desire that puts all of the focus on me. He says, abstain. Abstain from those passions of the flesh. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable in verse 12, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, obviously they were speaking against them as evildoers, 
They may see your good deeds, meaning good deeds were happening, and glorify God on the day of visitation. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, and you need to remember that this was under Nero's rule, and Christians at that time were still being persecuted. In fact, Christians were kind of taking the blame for everything. So if this happened over here, it's got to be the Christian's fault. If this happened over here, the Christians did it. And in fact, that's what happened in AD 64 when Rome burned, Nero blamed the Christians. He said the Christians burned it. And so then they started persecuting the Christians. Peter's saying, hey, be above this. Make your behavior so above, beyond that, that they don't have any grounds to accuse you. You need to be different. You need to be different. And it's interesting in this passage, if you notice, I urge you as sojourners and exiles in verse 11, in verse 25, we now return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. We start out with insecurity. We end up with security. Kind of an inclusio of the whole, of the whole passage. Why? He's moving us to trust and faith in God. Trust and faith in him and him alone. Keep your conduct honorable in the midst. How are you going to be able to do that? Well, he talks about submission. And he introduces us to the submission in a couple of contexts. To political, submission to a government, but then also submission to your masters. And then at the end, he gives Christ as the example. How are we to function obediently? Well, first off, in verse 13 through 17 of the passage we're going to look at today, we are called to submit to governmental authorities. Look at what it says in verse 13 through 17. Verse 13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, I'm going to come back to that, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. In other words, use your freedom as servants. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The Christian's relationship to government is pretty clear. We're to submit to the authority of the government. We're to submit by obeying. He even says, why? Why are we to do that? Verse 13, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Because by submitting to them, we honor God. See, God ordained this chain of command that goes through government, through churches, through next week, we're going to look at domestic chain of authority. It's God-appointed purpose that he has committed this chain of command. And this was probably pretty tough words, as I said before, for the people that were reading this because Nero was the emperor. And Nero was the one who was ended up persecuting him. 
Now, don't get me wrong, and I need to take a little bit of an aside. Peter believed that there was a proper place for civil disobedience. And we see that in Acts chapter 4. There was civil disobedience. Civil disobedience comes into play, comes into play when the laws of human government make it illegal to obey God's law. In other words, if it becomes requiring a person to worship some other God other than the God of the Bible. Okay, now civil disobedience comes into play. In that case, we need to obey God rather than man. However, when we do that, we also realize that we are gonna probably suffer the consequences. Suffering the consequences could be a fine, it could be imprisonment, or in the case of the people in Peter's day, even death, even death. One commentator wrote, and I I love this. He said, ever since Christianity was first preached, the Christian citizen has been a puzzle both to himself and to his rulers. By the elementary necessities of his creed, he has been a man living in two worlds. In one, he has been a member of a national community. In the other, a community taken out of the nations. In one, he has been bound to obey and enforce the laws of his state. In the other, to measure his conduct by standards not recognized by those laws and often inconsistent with them. This dualism has been made tolerable only by the prospect of a reconciliation. That prospect is, again, elementary necessity of the Christian creed that somehow, somewhere, the conflicts of loyalty will end, the kingdom of this world will pass, the kingdom of God will be established. And he go, yeah, yeah. And Peter indicated in verse 15 that by obeying, by obeying government, we can fend off some of that criticism that comes against us which is the reason why Jesus told his disciples to pay their taxes, even though Rome was probably using their tax money for purposes contrary to God's will. Paul also said, pay your taxes. Christians are to use their freedom that they have in Christ to be able to be servants of God. And then in verse 17, he really summarizes with these four injunctions, our obligations. He summarizes, he says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. It kind of goes from out to in, in to out. They go in dualisms. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. In other words, all people are worthy of honor if they come in the image of God, because they come in the image of God. Our primary responsibility to other believers is to love the other believers. We are to show God fear, reverence, but also it says, give honor to the emperor because of his position. Let me ask you a question. Does your submission to governmental authorities leave Christians' opponents speechless? By your willingly submitting to what they say because you know that your hope and your your trust is somewhere else? Do you honor the 
authorities that are over you or do you rebel because of that natural tendency that we have within us? You know, I have to confess that I can't imagine being falsely accused of a crime and being thrown into prison for that. I can't imagine that. But I have to wonder in myself, if I am, can I believe that God has a higher purpose in mind? Even in the midst of that situation, can I trust God that God is going to be able to use even this in my life for his glory and his purpose? Are you consistently pointing people towards God through all of your behavior where people are able to see your devotion and trust in him? And regardless of where you of who you vote for politically, regardless. The point is this, is where where are you ultimately placing your hope? Where is your trust? Do you believe that government is the salvation for all of our problems or do you believe that God is? Do you believe that God is able to ultimately use government for his purposes? You see, we are not of this world. There is that dualism that goes on. This really gets to the heart of what we call this series, hope refined. I mean, this is refined hope. Our hope is not here. Our hope is somewhere else. The only one that's going to be able to bring around real change is Jesus Christ and our faith and trust in him. And when people are able to see that faith and trust is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, they're left speechless. We're called to submit to governmental authorities. But we're also called to submit to our masters, to our employers. Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter addresses the situations of Christians working for somebody under the authority of willingly putting yourself under the authority of someone else. And one of the ways that they were suffering as Peter's readers were in the context of slavery. Now, I wrestled with this initially, but, you know, understanding submission in the context of slavery really gives me a better understanding of submission and in general in a broader category. By the way, Eve brought out in the prayer that we are to submit to one another. Submit to one another because it's the attitude of your heart. The attitude of your heart. The word translated here, servants, servants is really a, a term which means domestic servants, but Let's not make any bones about it. In Roman law, they were actually slaves. Slavery was a part of what was, what was happening. Uh, there were some limitations to their personal limit, uh, you know, freedom. And let's face it, slavery in the Roman Empire was a part of life. 
there were over 60 million slaves, it was estimated, in the Roman Empire. And most of Peter's readers were slaves. Uh, Now, slaves were employed in all different kinds. Not only did they do menial labor, but slaves were also doctors, teachers, professional people as well. Barclay writes, listen to what he says. He says, all of the work of Rome was done by slaves. Roman attitude was that there was no point in being master of the world and doing one's own work. Let the slaves do that and let the citizens live in pampered idleness. The supply of slaves would never run out. Archer goes on. He says, as to the moral status of slavery in ancient times, it must be recognized that it was practiced by every ancient people of which we have any historical record. Slavery was as integral a part of ancient culture as commerce, taxation, or temple service. Not until the more exalted concept of man and his innate dignity as a person created in the image of God had permeated the world as a product of Bible teaching did a strong sentiment arise in Christendom in criticism of slavery and a questioning of its right to exist. No equivalent movement towards abolition is discernible in any non-Christian civilization of which we have any knowledge. Most slaves were part of the family, but the bottom line was in Roman law, they were just an object. They were just a thing. They had no legal rights whatsoever. In other words, the slave was seen as a living tool, just a tool to serve the citizen. And you say, well, why doesn't the Bible categorically condemn the practice? The likely reason is because the authors of the New Testament were really more focused on preaching the gospel and the redemption of souls rather than any type of societal reform. They were going for the heart. They were going for the root of the problem. They were going for this systemic problem that we have, which is called sin. And they were preaching the gospel, recognizing that it was the gospel that was gonna be it. In fact, one said, Indeed, it was the Judeo-Christian teaching that human beings have intrinsic value and worth as a result of being made in the image of God that brought an end to the institution of slavery. So while the Bible doesn't formally condemn it, it doesn't condone it either. Because the writers were focused on the good news about Jesus Christ. And it was through the preaching of the gospel message of salvation that they were gonna be able to deal with that problem. And in fact, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is still, is still the only ultimate solution against human evil and social injustice. And most of Peter's readers here were slaves. They were slaves. They didn't have any choices. They were going to get beaten. They didn't have a choice. We have choices. They didn't. He was encouraging them in that that institution. If they found themselves in that, to be different. Be different. Don't be like all the rest. Be different. 
Unfortunately, today we do have options. We don't have to take that abuse. But they didn't have any option. They were unable to escape the abuse. And he says, be different. The closest thing in today for Peter's direction to apply is the way that we behave towards those who are over us in authority. Like our bosses, our employers, our administrators, our teachers, those individuals that are over us. Now, by the way, let me just mention that if this is flip-flopped and you have individuals that work for you, if you are the employer, if you are the boss, if you are the one that's in charge, do you see those people that work for you as people or do you just merely see them as tools or reports? But he's saying, how are you gonna treat your employer? How are you gonna treat those individuals that are over you in authority? And so in verse 18, Peter admonishes Christian slaves to be subject to their masters. Be subject to your master's authority. Whether or not they're good or they're bad in that day, you could have a good master, you could have a bad master. Whether or not, be different. Why? Well, in verse 19, it tells us. Verse 19, it says, for this is grace. This is grace. It's evidence of grace in your life. The way that you respond is going to give evidence of the grace of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. You are gonna have an unnatural response because you have a super savior that's gonna be able to give you that unnatural response to being beaten. This is one way that we're able to proclaim his excellencies. And Peter even distinguishes in verse 20 between justifiable and unjustifiable you know, uh, suffering. Either way, the slave was to endure. And the word there for endure is really a nice little word. The word there for endure is, is like stepping on a plant and you crush down this plant, but the plant then begins to grow. Repair under, actually, to repair under. It begins to grow again. And he says, I want you to rise up again. Keep rising up. Why? Why can you keep rising up? Because God has a purpose even in this. Even in this, where is your trust? Even in this, God has a purpose. The proper attitude was Peter's main concern. He was going for the heart as a testimony of what Christ has done for you. Submit to your master. So let me ask you a question. Do you submit to your master in such a way that grace might become evident in your life? You know, our natural tendency, once again, is to rebel. Our natural tendency is to say, I'm not going to submit to that individual. But the employee is to be submissive to the employer, even if that employer is less than gracious. Do you listen to your boss? Do you take instruction from your teacher, employer, administrator, whatever, graciously, unnaturally? You may not agree with all of the decisions. In fact, you may even have more experience than them. 
but you're willingly submitting yourself. You're placing yourself under their authority because of your faith and trust in a sovereign God who can use this situation for his glory, not yours. Where's your hope and trust? Is it in your employer or in God? I summarized some of the principles in your notes. And they're going to come up on the screen, but I wish I had time to be able to go through all of them. But, you know, God uses non-Christian authorities to be able to accomplish his will. That's in verse 14. He uses them to accomplish his will. The testimony of our life should silence our critics because of the way that we conduct ourselves should bring silence to our critics. We serve others because we are servants of God. And submission to that higher authorities is rooted in our submission to God. If we are submitted to God, that's gonna play out in the way that we treat others. God wants others around us to be able to see a supernatural response to undeserved suffering. And now Peter says the best example for that is Christ himself. Christ is our example. Look at what it says in verse 21. For to this you have been called. You've been called to this. For this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you might follow in his steps. The word there for example is like tracing paper. You know, he's, he's down there and you put paper on top and you trace it. It's tracing, an example. Trace it. So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He continued to trust God. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Can you imagine what that would have meant to a slave who'd been wounded by his master. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's an example. Notice what he did. He committed no sin, and yet he suffered for you. And when he suffered, he continued to trust God in verse 23. He bore our sins upon his body. And because of that, he made that new life possible. He dealt with sin that we might be able to live a new life. And he became our shepherd and overseer of our souls. Peter emphasized Jesus was trusting God. And from a human perspective, not so much a divine perspective, but from a human perspective, submitting to that abuse, submitting to that suffering because God and trusting that God had a higher purpose. And he did. And he's using Christ as an example. See, Christ suffered, but God had a higher purpose because he was able to bring you 
to faith in him if you place your faith and trust in him. God had a higher purpose. And then he reminded his readers that they too were like sheep going back to Isaiah. You too were like sheep once wandering, but now had returned to the good shepherd. And we see that we started off as sojourners and aliens and, and exiles, but we end up with a good shepherd who looks after our souls. From insecurity to security, from instability to stability. You can do whatever you want to my body. You can do whatever you want in the suffering, but I have a protector of my soul that's in Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna place my faith in him. My purpose is higher than just this world. My purpose goes beyond what you're able to see into an eternal perspective that you can't. I think we all realize that Jesus' purpose was a lot more, but because of human nature, so often we're, we're very quick to try to defend our rights. We're very quick to try to fight back or threaten some sort of legal action. When was the last time that for the witness and testimony of Christ, you kept silent? And responded unnaturally to what was happening. Here's the main point. Submission, submission provides the context in which the righteousness of Christ becomes evident to the world. That's the main point. Submission provides the context in which the righteousness of Christ that's happened in you becomes evident to the world because it's unnatural. Submission has everything to do with the attitude of your heart and the foundation of your trust, of willingly yielding to the authority over you because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. You know, I think a lot of people today spend a lot more time fighting the system rather than fighting sin. The problem really gets down to the sin. Are you feeling some of the splinters of that unjust cross of suffering on your back? Has a friend betray you? Has an employer taken advantage of you? God is still in charge. God is still sovereign. Submission within the context of unjust suffering can be a very disorienting experience. But to be able to keep your balance in that tricky situation and when things appear to be shaky and when you're being unjustly accused, it's important to be able to find that fixed reference point and focus continually on that point that brings stability in the midst of the instability to return to that protection and guardianship of the good shepherd, the good shepherd who endured the cross and laid down his life for you and has promised to protect your soul no matter what. God has a higher purpose. God has a higher purpose. Submission provides that context. 
where the righteousness of Christ becomes evident to the world. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reality of your word. Father, we acknowledge that this whole concept of submission tends to shake us up a bit. Help us to be so willingly yielded to you that submission to others becomes natural, not not in our own power, but in your power alone. May our lives so shine before the world that many would be drawn to you as a result. We thank you for that example of Jesus Christ. Father, may we cling to his cloak, mold us and shape us and conform us to his image. Deal with that problem that we have so that we would be yielded to you and to others as a result. We submit ourselves to you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.